Hello, and welcome to the Alt Left. Welcome back, everyone, to the Alt Left. This is episode 26. Thanks for being here. I am your host, Chris. With me, as always, is the good Reverend Dr. K. Hey, good evening, everyone. And Matthew Jumbo Johnson. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Today, we're going to be talking about UBI. You know, that thing that Andrew Yang made popular amongst idiots. Yep. <laughs> Which, man, talk about... Uh, man, people want to talk about AOC being a disappointment. What oh, a piece God. of shit Yang turned out to be. Right? Right? <laughs> like, here's the thing. I'm like, oh my gosh, finally, somebody willing to actually make this the cornerstone of their, their platform. Like, I never once thought Yang was going to get it, but he did such a good job of bringing this to the forefront. And I was just like, he gets credit for that. And then he just decided, well, you know, now I'm just going to be a shitty politician. Yeah. And now I'm just, now I'm just going to be a fucking Democrat again. Yep. And fuck and, is up. Uh, God didn't you damn. have a friend who like died on the hill of Andrew Yang years back when he was running? Me? Yeah, I recall right. You had a friend who uh, was like, Yang or bust. And if Yang doesn't win, I'm going to burn the whole fucking world down. And everyone Yes, sucks and- that, that was Jake. He was hardcore simping for the Yang gang. I remember yeah. that. And again, there's nothing... There's nothing wrong with simping for the Yang gang. Again, UBI, as we're going to discuss in this episode, and I think everyone's going to hear, is in I mean, obviously, this is the alt-left. If you haven't figured out where we stand on something like UBI, you need to read our catalog a little bit. <laughs> so if we're going to talk about UBI, which a lot of people talk about, it stands for Universal Basic Income. It's, you know, the idea of the government taking care of your needs for you. You know, people on the left say it's a good idea. People on the right say it's a handout. But... Everyone's talking about a lot of people don't know exactly what it is. And I think it's a good idea to kind of discuss and break down what exactly UBI is. That's exactly right, Chris. Um, And and as you said, UBI stands for universal basic income. But in simplest terms, what we're talking about here is through the government, all of a country's citizens getting a basic allotment, whether this be monthly, yearly, um, you know, biweekly, you know, whatever. This is the government giving a set amount of money to its citizens so that they can live. Uh, with Andrew Yang, uh, he called it a freedom dividend, where he, in his plan, it was going to be everybody was going to get $1,000 a month. If you were an adult living in the United States, you were going to get $1,000 a month, no strings attached. That was it. And, uh, most UBI, we're talking about something in that vein. We are talking about some sort of stipend or check that everybody that's a working citizen, that's an adult, not even working, uh, whether they're working or not, is going to get to help supplement their income. And of course, as we've just said, all three of us are in favor of this. It's a good idea. It just makes sense. Uh, one of the biggest reasons it does is because humans are amazing in that we've advanced our society through technology in incredible ways. One of the downsides to this is that we are advancing to the point where manual labor is becoming less and less needed throughout the world. We are going to reach a point where we are going to automate ourselves out of jobs. And UBI is a solution to this problem. Uh, And this isn't just uh, for menial labor and things like that. This goes everywhere. I think there was a a research, uh, a study done, sorry, about uh, two years ago. About 70% of U.S. jobs are susceptible to being lost uh, through automation. One of the biggest sectors that could be hit and hit pretty soon are drivers. 
And I mean, just think about how many drivers we have, whether it be truck drivers, taxi drivers, Uber drivers, Lyft drivers, delivery drivers. These are all things that could foreseeably be automated out of uh, necessity within the next uh, couple of, uh, uh, well, I shouldn't say next couple of years, but next 20 years or so. That's what most people are predicting. Uh, I can't say whether or not it's going to be true or not, but that's a really small amount of time to see literally millions of jobs be lost. UBI comes into this equation where it's basically supplementing that lost income. It's allowing people to still live, survive, and have some means of uh, having, you know, a livable wage where they can still exist as human beings with dignity. You know, they're not just starving and dying on the streets. And, and this is why UBI is important. Um you know, and, and again, I, I want to reiterate here, we're calling it UBI. This is the name that's taken from what the UK has. Again, universal basic income. But this term applies pre pretty broadly. There are programs in multiple countries, multiple cities, multiple states uh, that are currently running some form of this. And uh, you know, there, there are numbers and we are able to see kind of what the results of these are. Um, but they all do it to varying degrees. Some people will do an annual stipend. Some people will do a monthly stipend. The, the, how much people get varies here and there, depending on, uh, you know, what they're doing and what the program is. Uh, I know uh, Israel does this. Zimbabwe has a program. Japan has a program. The UK, even here in the US, uh, we'll talk about this a little bit later. Kay is going to help us out with this. We have a couple of cities and states that are running some some form of this program. But it is needed. Okay. And in doing the research for this, I really wanted to see the con side of this. Cause I mean, most of you guys are aware we do a fairly large amount of shitting on uh, the left and the right here. But for this episode, I really wanted to come at this with an open mind. You know, I, I already admit that I came into this being pro UBI, but I really wanted to find if there was anything out there that could prove me wrong, that could really show me that I need to change my mind on this topic. And once again, once you look into this, there really isn't. The arguments against implementing this policy essentially boil down to two things. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a handout and lazy people won't work and they won't do anything. And uh, there's no profit motive. Then, then everyone will just fall over and, and, and die. And that's exactly it. That's actually the most common number one thing that you will get from anybody that's against UBI is that it will remove the incentive, the incentive to work. And, you know, then you're going to have a bunch of people that are just lazy moochers that are taking money out of the pockets of the people that are actually earning a living. Uh, and this actually is horseshit. Uh, anybody that even does a, like a five minute Google search into this and you'll realize that this argument is horse crap. There's, there's no basis for this. In fact, the opposite tends to be true in what little data we do have. And again, I admit there is little data because like I said, this isn't a widespread policy that people have adopted. It exists in places. We do have numbers on this and what data we do have flies completely in the face of this argument. Well, and, and we got to remember that like, you know, we as human beings have short memories. We only think of things in our lifetime, and we tend to think in things of our lifetime as eternal, which is why you have wars over religion, right? We think that the contemporary situation is set in stone. It is unmalleable. It is unchanging. You know, we believe in this static universe that we live in. And we have to remember, you know, when people talk about that, that profit motive as the only way to get people motivated to do anything. Capitalism didn't even begin 
until the 18th century. I mean, and that's as a thought process, you know, it was, it was, God, what was, it? it was the nature and causes of wealth by nations. It was a British philosopher. I can't remember who I'm sure I could look it up. I think it was Smith um, who, who basically kind of created this, this economic, economic system of capitalism. You can say there's the roots of it a little bit earlier, but the idea of a profit motive for all individuals is only a couple hundred years old. And to believe that it is the only system that works and can work is idi is 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 complete idiocy. We, before, you know, what predates capitalism. Carts, the wheel, trading, money predates capitalism. By the way, government, art, literature, music, mathematics, astronomy, like chemistry. I mean, all these things predate, not exist around it, but before capitalism ever existed, humans created and bettered the world around them. And it's important to remember that capitalism is actually a relatively new economic theory. Yeah, very true. You know, and, and UBI itself has existed for uh, quite some time. I think uh, one of the earliest uh, written, you know, I shouldn't say written accounts. It's actually uh, Thomas More wrote about it in in one of mm-hmm. his uh, pamphlets uh, back in the 1600s. And this was a theoretical uh policy that was part of a utopia that he envisioned, but it's not a new concept by any means. You know, this has been around, I believe even in ancient Rome, citizens of the Roman empire got some kind of a stipend from, um, for being a citizen. Now, again, to be a citizen of Rome was completely different than actually living in Rome. You weren't a citizen by default. There was a bunch of other stuff involved in that, which I think Chris could probably speak to more than I could, but I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Um, but this is not new. And that's the important thing. And and so the next big uh, criticism that I have, again, completely unfounded, uh, that I found from this was that it will lead to massive inflation. This idea that with all this money being put back into the economy, that that somehow this is going to cause hyperinflation and the, eco- the economies will just collapse. And once again, there's really no merit to this argument. This all feeds back into this this bullshit idea that I, I don't even know where this comes from. I think part of it is tied to Reaganomics and, and economic ideas in the 80s. Um, but the simple fact of the matter is, is when people have money, they spend it. And you know what happens when people spend money? Companies have to hire more to meet production demands. You know, it's this cycle. It actually is going to have the opposite in both cases, both criticisms that I was able to find on this. The opposite of what they claim will happen happens whenever we have this implemented. And so this idea that implementing UBI will be the the destruction of our way of life. And this is all just scare tactics, mostly invented by the right. And that's the other thing I want to key in on here. I have seen people on the left parrot these criticisms, but their origins directly stem from right wing thinking. This is a conservative line of uh, criticism. And whenever a leftist takes it up or anybody on the left takes it up or on the center, they're just parroting these arguments and they're bad arguments. They have no basis in fact, and they have any amount of just minimal research minimal. I'm telling you, do Google search. Just just say, you know, what do people do when they have more money? And you'll see anywhere that people have a boost in their income, the economy uh, gets better. It, it, yeah, it they does. spend it. They, they spend it. And that's the, especially the working class. Like we're not talking about rich people here. Rich people hoard money. That's how they, they, they main, keep and maintain their, their, their wealth. 
But when the working class has money, they spend it. They sink it right back into the economy. They buy homes. They buy cars. They buy goods and services. They take vacations. They inject that money into economies, not just locally, but nationally and, and, and um, internationally. So this idea that, that giving people more money is going to somehow stagnate the economy is just ridiculous. It holds no, no water. You know, there have been some studies that, again, look at both of these things, but overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, they show that the opposite is true. Any links that they find to, uh, to increases in joblessness or lack of desire to work or, you know, lowering of economies, they're, they're weak at best. And need, and even the studies that find them say more research is needed to substantiate these claims. This is just a baseline. We can't say for certain that this is what's happening. So there's really no good evidence to go against this. Whereas the evidence for is just overwhelming. You do this and you can lift people out of poverty. Um, people can survive. People inject that money back into the economy. It helps everyone and it, it guards against an economic collapse because people are losing their jobs and don't have anywhere else to go. And, and that's the thing too is... Right now, we can probably institute things like job retraining programs and things like that if we had, you know, a, a united government that wanted to do those things. Right now, we don't because for some reason, these programs don't seem to be very popular amongst people. I don't know why. But, you know, in, in the immediate future, what we have now, if we wanted to do this, we could absolutely um, buffer this a little bit by instituting a massive job retraining program and getting these people in other areas um, than they're currently at that are being automated out. But it, it's eventually a, a loss. It's going to be a net loss because we can only retrain. There is eventually going to be a point where our technology advances to where humans don't need to work. And that's the last part where I wanted to end my bit here on is this idea of not working. It is almost set up as, uh, as, as a four-letter word when you suggest it to a lot of conservatives, liberals, and centrists. It's, it's this idea of being a moocher that's just been jammed down their throats so much they, they accept it as gospel. Humans not being forced to work is a good thing. That should be our end goal. Our end goal should be that we as a society advance so much that we are all free to pursue our own desires, our own goals, our own dreams. We should be able to just sit at home. If you have a human that wants to sit at home all day and play video games, they should fucking be allowed to. If our technology allows it, if we have enough to support that, we absolutely should. And that's the other key thing. We do. We currently waste so much food in this country that it's it, not in this country, on this planet. This planet globally produces more than enough food to feed every single man, woman, and child on this planet. That idea that if you're not working, you're useless and we need more jobs and we need all this is, again, it's more of a newer idea. Um, we saw a brief period of this after feudalism when we had laws in England forcing people to work. Um, and they were put in poor houses, but in America that came around, I mean, you, we, we actually talked about this a little bit in our economics episode. We talked about Keynesian economics and that name Keynesian comes from, uh, Keynes, like K E Y N E S, I think. Um, and he is a prominent, um, early 20th century econ uh, economist who basically argued for a complete and total, um, consumer based economy. 
built around the consumption of finished goods and that that would be what supports and grows the GDP of an economy. After World War II, we completely switched over to this. When the United States became a manufacturing powerhouse, we swapped over to a consumption-based economy. Before that, people didn't consume like they consume now. People had several sets of clothing. People had some items they needed in their home, and that was it. They didn't have this, we didn't have this Amazon Prime wish list that we do now. And the fact that we have that now does show how far our economy has grown. But that consumerism also requires that everyone has a goddamn job, whether or not they need one. And that's and that I think is one of the hardest ones for us as Americans to get over like what you're saying, Matt, is that that's where that comes from is this idea that was absolutely force fed into us as American propaganda uh, after World War II. It's that I that mindset that is so hard to get out of is there on purpose It's by design. Yeah. Well, and, and this is going to be completely cliche, but I'm, I'm going to say it. Life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. I guarantee you. If you give anyone the choice between digging ditches all day and playing video games and streaming it live to all their friends, they're going to choose the latter. Like that's what we're, that's what our goal is. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Working 40 hours a week or more, 80 hours a week, 120 hours a week in a job you hate, that is the worst thing you can make anyone do. All right. But we've bought into this idea that this is what you do. And you're, you're less than a good person. You're not a good person. If you don't stick to that, if you just don't do something you hate for the bulk of your life until you're old and can't really enjoy any of life's beautiful things anymore, you're a bad person and you're not contributing to society and you should be shunned and hated and ridiculed. And I reject that. Yeah. That well, that's what our worst. president said. Yeah, Biden went up there and said, like, if you refuse any decent job and by decent job, he means legal job, just to be decent. Yeah. But that if you refuse any work, I'll starve your fucking family. Yeah. You know, that's the guy who promised to to bring us out of this with compassion. Well, and let's just be clear. Biden didn't actually say that, but it's the same idea. That's that's what's behind this, because remember, I disagree. He did say that. He said you'll be thrown off your income. Okay, we'll be yes, taken he, off of unemployment. Yes, he didn't say we're going to starve your family. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I agree that that's the end result of what he was suggesting. Okay, but if I say we're going to do a little ethnic cleansing, I'm not talking about dusting the floor. I'm talking about killing your family. The fact that he dressed it up and didn't use bad words and didn't make it sound scary doesn't mean that's not exactly what he was talking about. He was making a threat. That is a threat. You will and, starve and, or you will do what I say. Yes, and I agree. But again, for clarity's sake, I'm I'm – going with what he said and then saying what we think that means. You know, again, it's a technicality and I agree with you, but I think it's a distinction that needs to be made because the first argument anyone's going to say is he didn't actually say that these guys are full of shit. Don't listen to them. And I, I, and and I, I agree. That's a stupid argument, a stupid response, but I'm getting ahead of it now. And, but, but again, we digress. That's neither here nor there. The point is that, what Chris is saying is absolutely true. And the reason it's true is, again, remember the situation we're in. Service industry employees have been treated like 
garbage for years and years and years. They don't earn a living wage. What they earn is shit. Most of them have to work two, sometimes three or four jobs just to fucking survive. And now because of the pandemic, we've all been shoving how great and needed they are up their asses for the last year. But now it's time to go back to work. So very essential until until we don't need them anymore or they're not so quote unquote essential. Exactly. And, And retail workers as well as food service workers and anybody that has a manual labor job. I'm not talking about people in a in an office somewhere that can do their work remotely on a computer. We're talking about people that physically had to go to work every day. Mm-hmm. These people were all considered quote unquote essential. It's the same thing we were talking about with the vaccinations. It was, oh no, let's not vaccinate the people that we thought were essential. Let's vaccinate the fucking old people first that can stay home that don't need it. Yeah. And yes, I understand that they were the the group that could die the easily the the, the easiest from it. That's not the point. The point is, is that these people that we said were essential were showing them that they're not. It's the same thing when we talk about this idea that if you don't go back to work for a non-living wage. So anything that is not, you know, quote unquote, uh, uh, that $15 an hour that we we keep throwing around, which is still irrelevant. But that when you tell someone that if you don't take a job, that you're not going to get your benefits anymore, you are kind of saying that we're, we're going to take it all away from you. We're going to let you starve. And and that's the sad part. And that's where UBI, a universal basic income, comes into effect. Where if you want to work and, and if you want to do something that's a little bit different, you have the freedom to do that. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And here's the joke. This is the sick joke about that is we were absolutely able to push through an increase in unemployment benefits to help people get by. It wasn't enough. We discussed this. It, what we gave wasn't near enough, but it was still more than what these people were making at these shit jobs. And so what we've done is we've created a situation where they're now able to survive better by not working the shit jobs. But we've told them if they don't go work the shit jobs, they lose everything. So it's like, Go back into the poverty you just barely maybe clawed out of with this increase in unemployment benefits or die on the street completely. And that that's where it goes back to why Chris is saying this yeah. is what essentially Biden is saying. And that's what I wanted to kind of get back to, Chris, is I don't disagree with the sentiment behind it, but I want to be clear with what he actually said and what it means in the background for anyone paying attention. The, the language, the language that was used. These are the fruits of capitalism. This is what it gives you, okay, is at the end of the day, you know, much like Lenin once said that, you know, the imperialism is the final form. I think it was the the final evolution of capitalism. And it really is. And what we see is right-wing conservatives and capitalists, and let's just say not really capitalists because Jeff Bezos is a capitalist. Calling yourself a capitalist just means you have fucking Stockholm Syndrome. Unless you own the means of production, you're not a fucking capitalist. You're just a bootlicker who doesn't realize they're a wage slave. But if you are a capitalist fanboy, uh, one of the things you'll talk about is China. Talk all kinds of shit about China. Now, China's not great. There's some serious problems with China. 
But if you're going to critique it so hard and say, well, if you can't afford that place, you fucking live somewhere else. You know, landlords should be able to evict you whenever they want and you should take whatever job you can get. It's like, well, that sounds like the Chinese labor and housing economy where where you work and what you do is decided for you by the state. And if we are going to sit here and say, like, well, you should just find a better job and then penalize people for trying to find a better job because the one they work at is demeaning, unhealthy and frankly cannot afford them to live then how is this different how is that not totalitarianism yeah it absolutely I, is yeah and finding an finding a better job isn't always possible yeah but the thing is it should be and it could be yeah, yeah it's it absolutely not, it's not possible by design like the thing we have to recognize is this is not the industrial revolution anymore there there is a certain time period where Things like UBI in a large-scale society aren't possible, okay? If you are going to grow your society in the numbers of hundreds of millions to billions of people, and you have 17th century technology, it's going to suck for everyone. Well, everyone who's not incredibly wealthy. Like, that's just the state of the world, you know? Mm -hmm. it's There will be struggle, there will be death, and it will be hard. Um, but... As we are now, at least in the Eurocentric world, we are already at a post-scarcity societal level. Uh, and I emphasize Eurocentric uh, as, you know, America, you know, the United States, Canada, Western Europe, right? Um, because that exists solely at the exploitation of the rest of the world. So we here in the United States are at a post-scarcity level because we have bled South America dry. And, because, and, you know, and Europe is because they have bled Africa dry. But anyway, so yeah, you know, we have America and the United, you know, the United States and Europe have exploited South America, have exploited Africa, have exploited the East. And that is how we've gotten to this level. The rest of the world will eventually join us. But before we go into that, like, what is post-scarcity, right? And that, that's an economic term you'll hear a lot. You'll hear especially socialists talking about it. You'll hear anarchists talking about it. You'll hear a lot of leftists talking about post-scarcity. And what post-scarcity means is we have an economy in which most goods can be produced in, in great abundance, right? We can mass produce almost anything with minimal human labor so that they become available to everyone uh, at little or sometimes even no cost, depending. Uh, post-scarcity does not mean that scarcity has been eliminated for all goods and services. Uh, what it means is that all people can easily have their basic survival needs met along with some significant portion of their desires for goods and services. That's what that really comes down to. Um, and this can be provided easily by any competent bureaucracy. You know, the DWP can ensure that everyone has water and power. They just decide to charge for it, and that's the difference. But they don't have to. And again, they are a competent bureaucracy. You may not love them, but they are good at what they do. The DMV. No one likes going to the DMV, but they are a competent bureaucracy. They manage a vast, vast system um, of providing a right and service to citizens that is necessary. Um, and, you know, again, this is, this is produced because of automation. Mm -hmm. It's all around us. Uh, from self-checkout lanes, which, I mean, I call the, the Prolean discount lanes, if you know what I mean. Uh, uh, I hate those lines to be honest i don't know a lot of poor people get fed because of them <laughs> no no and that but that's not the reason why i don't like them because when i go into a store i don't work there somebody else does 
And when you have more of these lines, they have less people working them. Mm -hmm. That's the reason why they use them is because they can eliminate three jobs for every four of these lanes that they have in, in use because they only need one attendant. And yeah. so then they rely upon the people that are purchasing goods from that store. There's no discount from the store to, to check out and bag your own goods. But that's what you're doing. You're working for them at that point. I would rather have the four people working each one of those checkout lines doing the job and getting paid for it it's not like they increase the wage of the one person that's got to deal with the four lanes. That sure as fuck doesn't happen. Hell no. Um, yeah, it exists for sole profit. I mean, that's the reason for them. And we have to remember that, that automation, whether, you know, I mean, again, whether we're talking about self-checkout lanes, right? Um, or even, I mean, like today, industrial automation has increased production exponentially, right? Correct. Right. Look at an auto. I, I work line. in I work in in that industry uh, of machine work. Yeah, well, I mean, and I was actually going to bring that up. Like, like a plant with a hundred CNC machines can crank out in a day what hundreds of craftsmen could do in a year a hundred years ago, easily. Um, well, autom- to make uh, to make it even even more of a thought, you know, or less of a. Uh, an abstract number like that. Um, what one machine can do in a day, it would take a crew of probably five to 10 people at least a week or more to do the same work because the machine never has to touch the part until it's literally finished. Whereas before, someone might have to touch that part four or five times and do four or five different operations to that same part until it's finished. And Absolutely. that that automation, what it does is it makes better parts more consistently with more complexity. So we're making better parts, but we're also making, making them 10 times faster. Yeah, faster, cheaper, and in enormous. And more accurate. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And, and again, it's not even just production, like hard things like in auto plants and CNC machines, right? Like farming, uh, farming operates at such efficiency with such tiny amounts of labor that food prices have to be kept artificially high. Yeah. I mean, farmers have to destroy things sometimes or specifically not grow certain crops so we can artificially inflate the price of food. Correct. I mean, soon there's going to be self-driving vehicles and you're going to see truck drivers and public transit drivers, um, out of work because it'll be fully automated. So the idea that everyone needs to find a job and that that's always going to exist is BS. Like yeah. our systems are working to put people out of work and that's not a bad thing. And that's what yeah. we really need to, to, to break our mindset of as Americans is that's okay. That's supposed to be the good ending. Yeah. Is that eventually all the shitty jobs get taken by fucking robots and you don't have to do that, right? So uh, a very famous uh, writing on this is called Fragment on... Well, it's known as Fragment on Machines. It's actually called... God, I forgot what it is. Anyway, K- Karl Marx wrote it. Um, and what's known as Fragment on Machines... Uh, basically, he was stating that the, the transition to a post-capitalist society combined with advances in automation would allow for significant reductions in labor needed to produce necessary goods. Uh, this would eventually would be reaching a point where all people would have 
significant or at least all necessary amounts of leisure time to pursue science, the arts, creativities. Like Matt was saying, uh, I want to, I want to play on, I want to play video games on, on, on Twitch. You know, I want to do whatever, like whatever that thing is that makes you happy. You want to make pottery. <clears throat> you want to build things. Uh, you want to paint. doesn't matter. Whatever it is, you want to be a scientist. Some people want to do physical labor. These are all good things. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and basically that when we had that level, that's where post-scarcity, that's where that term post-scarcity actually comes from. And, and Marx argued that capitalism, um, the dynamic of economic growth based on capital, uh, depends on exploiting the surplus labor of workers. But a post-capitalist society would allow for time that actually fulfills the individual. So instead yeah. of spending your days waking up and downing enough stimulant to get up and go to work and then getting home and downing enough depressant to feel better and numb and go to sleep because you have to work again the next day, you could pursue a schedule, a chemical balance and an occupation that actually serves you. So yep. mm -hmm. capitalism creates the system to create a post-scarcity world, but it's also the only thing that holds back people from the dream of post-scarcity, right? Absolutely. It's that double-edged sword. Now, I got this great quote from him. He argued that basically capital and labor, and his quote is, itself, when he's talking about capital and labor, which is human labor and capital, meaning money, buildings, machinery, that kind of thing. The, the things to make money with is capital. Uh, he are, um, so ex it itself exists merely as an agency for the transformation of raw material into the product. As such, a means of production, its use value can be that it is merely the technological condition for the occurrence of the process. That's the site where production process proceeds, uh, as with buildings, etc. cetera. Uh, both meaning capital and production resources are in turn only the material presuppositions for the production process generally, or for the employment and maintenance of the means of labor. The latter, labor, meaning human beings, however, in the proper sense, serves only within production and for production and has no other use value. Now, that's a lot to unpack, right? There's a lot said there. And it, and it, again, we're talking about a document that's, that's very old and it's not quite written contemporarily. Uh, but basically what he's saying is that to the capitalist and to the system of capitalism itself, human labor and human laborers, really, the people, have, are no more valuable than bricks in a building that can create the products. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is obvious. We don't need to look any further than an Amazon warehouse where employees have to pee in bottles next to their coworkers' corpse, or how all of our, like Kay was saying earlier, our essential workers were thanked and called heroes during the pandemic, and now we vilify them with condescending signs on restaurant doors, and you know the president demanding everyone take a job offer to them or will starve them. Like these ideas are not, you know, this is this is we can see it around us. You don't have to look far to see that threat that like, no, human laborers are worth nothing. And this future of Amazon, Walmart, the federal government, this was, this was predicted by it. This was written in 1857. Marx wrote on this. Engels wrote on this. A bunch of people, you know, John Locke wrote on this. Um, you know, two centuries ago, this was predicted. Before we had computers, cars, or even commercial electricity. When this was written, factories were steam-powered. Okay. There and was, the assembly you know, line hadn't even been invented yet. No, it hadn't mm. been, you know, and, and that we had, you know, interchangeable parts were still a new science, um, you know. And so to be in a steam powered society with no assembly lines and electricity and to have this prediction means he, he it's based on economic theory and eventuality. Right. 
So, you know, uh, you know, but March knew it then people knew it then. And um, so is every other socialist or humanist thinker since then. This has been, this has been screamed from the rooftops from leftists forever. Um, You know, but capitalists are savage and they're they're single-minded. Do you think anything, any argument, theory, compassion will stop Jeff Bezos or Zuckerberg or Elon Musk from achieving profit? I mean, do you think any of them would not be slave owners if it was legal? I mean, well, Elon's a slave owner, um, technically. But do you think that if Jeff Bezos could buy human slaves legally and produce profit by them, he wouldn't do it? No, absolutely not. Yeah, I think it actually goes to show exactly how far ahead of its time Marx was. Yeah. Um, to 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 paraphrase from a, a Wayne Gretzky biography, he was looking. He was looking. He wasn't looking at where the puck is. He was looking at where the puck was going. Mm-hmm. Marx had the foresight to see where our technology at that time, what the end game was. And I think that it's noteworthy. You should. You, that's re- the reason why. If you really look at communism, which I, which is something I've done since I've met Chris, um, the ideas there are actually really sound. I think um, the only debate that I think I have with most communists, not Chris, because he's a little different than other ones I've talked to. I think Chris is a little more realistic about uh, what, how communism can be achieved and in what time frame. Um, but the the biggest debate I have is is you know whether or not we can get there in our lifetime. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I know most communists I've engaged with aside from Chris think that, you know, we just need to have a massive, you know, violent revolution and, you know, become communists. And I, and I don't know if that can happen. I honestly don't think this country could do it. No, we have the infrastructure. I mean, what we lack is the political will. Yeah. Uh, that's the thing is this country could turn socialist in, in, a, in a generation easily. Um, but we, we, we lack the culture and the political will. Um, Americans do not, American workers don't have class consciousness. And all. that's what it comes down to. And, and again, that's on purpose. Um, that it's supposed to be that way. That's by design. Remember, this isn't like, oh, it's so weird how people who exist in the Northwestern Hemisphere don't get it. It's like, it's not because there's something in the water. There's something in the media. Um, you know, and again, if we're talking about these ultra capitalists, why would they allow the ideas of Marxism or UBI or worker rights to spread? You know, it wouldn't it's, because it's against the, it, it goes against the bottom line. Yeah. The, the second half of the 20th century is nothing more than a history of capitalistic nations stamping out socialism or any similar idea that humans should exist for more than profit producing wage slaves. You know, after the Russian revolution, People, a lot of people know this. We invaded Russia during their civil war in the Red White War because they defaulted on their debts. And so the United States, the UK, I believe France too, they invaded Russia to force the the, the Bolsheviks out. Um, you know, Korea, Vietnam, all of Latin America, millions dead, billions of dollars spent, all to stop people from not producing maximum profit. Yeah. For this, we have created genocide false poverty, massive pollution, death squads, just so that Bezos doesn't have to worry about his money. You know, I mean, we're, we're told there's not enough money to keep unemployment going. And yet now they want to put billions out to bail out Jeff Bezos's bullshit failed space program. Meanwhile, Amazon's like buying MGM. Billion. Yeah, and a- Amazon just bought MGM for that dollar amount they're asking the government for. And we're going to fucking give it to them. But we we're actually not already did. Yeah. Yeah, we, we gave him $10 billion yeah. for his failed space program. 
Except he didn't need 10 billion fucking dollars. No, he didn't. We are giving the wealthy money, but that's the history of capitalism. We already have UBI. We already have socialism in this country. It just all goes to the rich. Yep. You know, th- there is a welfare state in America, and it is for the wealthy. We could be paying everyone a UBI with $10 billion. Yeah. That could be that could be bonus checks to everyone who makes low wages. And sure enough, what do you see? Now McDonald's is now you know fast food restaurants are out there offering $18 an hour. We yeah. can't even get 15 passed in the fucking Senate because the Democrats are spineless cowards and complete sellouts to the wealthy class. But yet here we go. As soon as people are like, eh, I don't want your shitty job anymore, suddenly there's $18. Suddenly this money manifests that wasn't there. They'd go bankrupt. They can't afford to pay you. And then all of a sudden when they have no choice, suddenly there's plenty of fucking money to actually do it. It's the same shit. Elon Musk says he doesn't have, or Elon Musk, fuck Elon Musk too. But Jeff Bezos says he doesn't have enough money to pay his workers. He's got to keep costs down. But he can buy mega yachts and he can continue his space program, beg the government for money, and buy fucking MGM for funsies. Yeah. Fuck him. Well, you brought up an interesting point that I wanted to, to comment on too. It's like, you know, we are talking about this and I want to make a quick distinction is we are by no means saying that in five years we're going to wake up and all these jobs will be gone. I want to make that clear. I don't think it, anybody was thinking it, but let's, let's make that distinction now. But over the course of the next 20 to 75 years, this is going to slowly happen. Little bits at a time. It's just going to be eating away. And the reason I brought that up is because some people might hear what we're talking about with, with Amazon and be like, well, see, they're not automating. They're desperate for workers. That's the point. We are not ready to see these jobs shipped out right now. And that's why people, the working class especially, need to realize that they hold all the cards. The moment you withhold labor, you are in control. The reason McDonald's is, and these companies are actually are offering this much is because they can't just stock everything up with, with robots right now. They can't do it. Uh, Kay is actually a good example of that. Kay doesn't want to deal with a robot. Kay doesn't want to do work itself. And Kay's sentiment is very common, not just amongst the um, amongst uh, you know more classical liberals like himself, but also among many centrists and um, uh, centrists and Republicans as well. They want to deal with a person. It's a sentiment that I'm sure everybody said. I hate getting a voicemail. I want to talk to somebody. I hate getting a message. I want to talk to somebody. I hate going through the through through the line myself. Oh my god! Want, Automated systems at customer service centers are the just worst. God damn worst. And and they suck. And that's the reason why these companies who threaten to replace workers who quit or strike or unionize with robots are full of shit. They have. They don't have the ability to do it right now, and the public doesn't want it. However, as we develop our technology, it will get better. It will get more improved, and they will introduce it subtly. It's not going to happen where one day you're just going to walk into McDonald's and everybody that was working there the day before is gone, and you're dealing with robots. It doesn't work that way. It's slow, incremental changes over time until you get used to it. Until one day you wake up, you realize over the last 20 years, every person that you used to engage with at McDonald's is now gone. You know what I mean? Uh, that's and, already started. But that's, they started but that, putting yeah. the ordering kiosks in. And, and but, it, but it depends on where you go. I've been in McDonald's where literally everybody goes past them just to talk to somebody. In fact, I saw, saw this is anecdotal. So again, this is not like any kind of like scientific data, but I've been in McDonald's before where like they've got the attendant to show people how to use the kiosk. That's trying to guide people to the kiosk. And everyone's just like, no, I want to order. No, I want to order. I watched it happen. Um, 
But with new generations, the younger generation, they're going to come in and they're going to go to that kiosk because it looks cool. And, and they don't care. Used to it and they don't care. But that's just it. That's how you do it. You have these little changes and you just deal with whatever minimal backlash or struggle you have in the meantime, because eventually generations are going to come through and adapt to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, a, a good example of this, too, is I'm going to I'm going to a little bit of a segue here, but I promise it fits. Uh, look at Xbox. So. I don't know if you guys remember, but when the PS4 and the Xbox One released, Xbox to Microsoft took so much shit because they were trying to cram always online down people's throats. They wanted to make it so that everybody was going to have to uh, buy digital games. They wanted to get rid of trading systems and things like that. So you couldn't trade in your old hard copy games. And they got such a backlash that PlayStation outsold them at a ratio of two to one. Like, mm-hmm. and it's not that Microsoft didn't make a problem, but they got hit hard by this. Here we are, like, oh, what is it, like 10 years later, eight years later? Yeah. Digital downloads are now the biggest thing there is. That's how most people buy their video games now. And it's because the industry has been driving us to it subtly. Microsoft was just ahead of the game. They just thought, hey, this is where things are going, so let's just do it now. And they tried, yeah. they basically try to shove everyone through the door at once instead of just letting little, just opening the door a little bit wider and a little bit wider and a little bit wider so people could just all walk through together. And that's what's been happening. But that's, but it feeds into my point. Regardless of what you as a consumer want, because we aren't united as a working class, as a consumer class, as anything, all they have to do is make slow incremental changes and eventually we'll just accept this. So yeah. really, if you don't want to see a world where there's like, you know, 30% of the people are working wealthy and own everything. And the rest of you are just poor slums that are dying in the streets. Now's the time to act. And UBI is one of the ways it starts. Yeah. And, and, and it, it's long overdue and it cannot exist under capitalism except in small experiments. What we need is an overhaul of the capitalistic system. And until then, we're not going to have a nationalist UBI. Now, Kay, you found places where it was implemented in at least some degree, right? Okay, yeah. Um, specifically just here in the U.S. is what I looked at. And there are really only two uh, good examples. Um, the first one is in Alaska. So back in 1982, uh, they they started what's called the Alaska Permanent Fund. And... What it does, uh, it was an amendment to the state constitution, and 25% all of the money uh, from the state's oil production that they that they receive goes into this fund, and then that money is paid out annually as a percentage to each resident of Alaska, a permanent resident. So if you move in on January 2nd and... Uh, um, they're paying out their, their dividend in March or February. You have not lived there for a year. You do not get anything. Um, so you have to have lived there from January 1st to December 31st, at least an entire year to receive this. Okay. And the payout is as high as about $2,300. It's as low as, uh, $331 with an average of around $1,100 a year. Now, this is per year, not per month. So this is a very small amount of money. 
If you I think thought it was about, so much more too. Like I even no, it's here, not. I, I've heard about like oh, people in Alaska get all this money because of the oil companies. Like nope. I had heard it was this high amount. I'm surprised that it's not. I'm not actually. People like you give a little, and people think it, you've just given them gold. It doesn't take much. Yeah, it it really doesn't. Um, when people think about oh, this this basic income, right? It's it doesn't take as much to actually have an impact as one might think. But when you have an extremely small amount of money annually, it actually shows very little impact. Okay. Um, so two things I want to talk about with this particular uh, example of UBI. Uh, in 2018, there was a, an analysis done of the last um, uh, of all of the, the program, right? And there was a paper written by uh, a guy named Jones and someone else named uh, Marinescu, probably pronouncing that wrong. They were two uh, people from different universities here in the U.S. And what they found is that there was no effect on employment to population rate. Okay, so what that means is that the employment of people didn't go up and it also did not drop. So we didn't see a whole bunch of people stop working and we didn't see a whole bunch of people get more work. Okay. Um, but the one thing that did change very small percentage, uh, of it was a, a part-time employment increase. So we saw less full-time work, but more part-time, but only by 1.8%. <laughs> so a very, very small, so negligible. Uh, yeah. Negligible. So essentially none. All right. Um, the interesting part about this, what they found was that employment didn't decrease uh, or didn't decrease. And what they surmise is that the dividend increase labor demand through the effects of consumption. OK, so the little bit of money that they did receive boosted the economy just enough to off offset any uh, uh, decrease in, in actual work. But once again, so small that it almost is imperceptible. Okay. Uh, and then there was a 2019 study uh, called Universal Cash and Crime, um, written by Watson, uh, Giribati, and Reamer. Not sure where they're from. Uh, I, I didn't see that uh, specifically, but it was um, published in the Review of Economics and Statistics. Okay. And just a few interesting facts about this is that after the, the uh, permanent fund distribution, they found an, an 8% daily reduction in property crime over four weeks. Uh, and in that same four weeks, they found a 10% increase in substance abuse crime and a 9% increase in medical assistance uh, calls. So... <laughs> So they found that there was less property crime for four weeks after, but that substance abuse and and medical assistance calls went up. So we found a bunch of people that got a little bit of extra money, drank a little more, <laughs> and uh, had to go to the hospital a little bit more. Well, I wouldn't even, I don't know if I would necessarily even argue that that's what that causes as much as, you know, some addicts finally got a few bucks in their pockets. Well, but that's all I'm saying is that some addicts got a few bucks in their pocket and they went and did some stuff instead of going out and doing some crime. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
But these are only effects for four weeks after. After that, it basically normalizes because all the money's gone. Yeah. <laughs> so this small distribution of money is is really insignificant and doesn't necessarily do a bad thing, but it doesn't necessarily do a good thing. Now, this is an example of of where a UBI is basically not unnecessary, but where it hasn't had a huge impact. OK, now here in the United States, we also have another uh, example that occurred over the last two years, essentially. It was started in 2019 by the mayor of Stockton, California, uh, Michael D. Tubbs. He started the SEED program, and that stands for the Stockton Economic Empowerment Demonstration. But the name of it, they, they wanted to demonstrate what a UBI would actually do here in the United States, right? So what they did is they gave 125 uh, Stocktonians, is how they, they <laughs> refer to them. I like that. $500 a month for 24 months. And this actually just recently ended uh, in, I believe it was February or March of this year. So there were some qualifications that you had to have to be given this money, okay? So they they you had to be over 18 years of age, you had to be a resident in Stockton, so currently living there, and then uh, live in a neighborhood with a median income at or below $46,033, okay? So not making huge amounts of money, but not making uh, nothing at all, okay, uh, is where that, that money was given. And... They went through a whole selection process and and found that there was a lot of hesitation from people that were being offered this chance of them thinking that this was some sort of scam. It's very interesting to read the article about this because there's such a distrust of the government and that they might be trying to do something good for these people that they were like, nope. I'm not going to even bother applying for it because it can't be true. Yeah, I mean, and that shows you the level of capitalist <laughs> capitalist dystopia we live in, yeah. where it's like, hey, um, the government might actually care about you enough to make sure you don't starve. Like, nah, no, nah, that's not real. Well, yeah, and I'm sure right. there's also that moocher mentality. It's like there's this idea that if you take any kind of money that's from taxpayer dollars, you are now lesser human and bad. And should be shunned. And I well, think there's a lot of people that would rather just not take it than suffer that uh, stigma. It wasn't. I don't even know that it was necessarily that stigma. I think it was that they literally just couldn't believe that it even was could happen. That oh, that, that they the would just give so them five hundred dollars. Yeah. That yeah. they would just that that the government would give them five hundred dollars and not tell them how they had to spend it, because that's what they did. They made no. Uh, actual demand on how these people spent it. They could literally spend it on anything they wanted. But what they did is they gave it to them on a prepaid debit card. So each month uh, for the 24 months, they would deposit $500 onto this card. And from that card, they could spend it using the card. They could withdraw it in cash. Okay. So if they withdraw it in cash, uh, in cash, they found that um, 
most of the people, because these people, when they did uh, receive it, were asked to uh, fill out forms basically saying how they spent it, what they did with it, where it went, those kinds of things. Um, So self-reporting. And so there's a, in my opinion, a modicum of, of, um, you know, self-reporting error on this, but there always will be, of course, but there are some interesting, going to be like, I went out and bought dildos and drugs. (laughs) (laughs) No, of course not. Uh, But there's some interesting statistics here, right? So would anybody like to take a guess on where the majority of the money went? I'm still thinking about naming my next band, Dildos and Drugs. Um, I'm going to say a majority went to rent and debt. Yeah. You're both wrong. Really? It was Dildos and Drugs. It was. Uh, Actually, no. Uh, A resounding approximately 30 to 35% went to food. All right. Fair enough. Okay. That, 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 that grocks. Yeah. uh, The next is... Uh, sales or merchandise. So people went out and bought things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Back right? in the economy, that's pretty much what we said. Okay. Yep. Um, and that's about 24%. They spent approximately 11% on utilities. So people paid the light bill and the gas bill. Fucking right? moochers wanting electricity. I know. Seriously. Um, people spent about 9 to 10% on auto care. Yeah. Again, um, that's a necessity now. Other services, transportation, insurance, medical, all very low. Education, very low. Donations, very low. But what, what I think you're trying to say here, or at least what I'm getting from this, is that it didn't go to dildos and drugs. This went to necessities. This went yes. to keeping the lights on. This went to food. This went to keeping their car running so they can continue going to work. Like This went to financial the necessities stability. of life. It yeah. went to financial stability of these people. Okay, so um, from 2013 to 2017, uh, 9.7% of people that lived in uh, Stockton did not have a bank account. Okay, so almost 10% of of people that live there didn't have bank accounts, Mm -hmm. right? And to me, that says, like, that that there's instability in... Uh, uh, in in fin- uh, people's finances, right? So <laughs> having that stability of this five hundred dollars a month come into their uh, their usability and not be told how to do it did some interesting things, right? Okay, so um, one year into the program, the treatment group demonstrated less month over month income volatility than those in the control group. Okay, so the control group was just another group of 125 people that they were tracking with the same, um, uh, in, in essentially the ba- same basic uh, uh, socioeconomic uh, situation, right? So most of the numbers that we find are based on that, uh, that metric, okay? So at the start of the prob- uh, program, 25%, uh, percent of the recipients would pay for unexpected expenses with cash or cash equivalent. Okay. One year into one year in 52% of those in the treatment group would pay for unexpected expenses with cash or cash equivalent. So what that means is at the start of the program, 
25% of the people that were in this program, only 25% of them could actually pay for expenses with cash. This is money in their actual bank yeah. account. Liquid assets okay. without having to use a, a line of credit. Without having to use line of credit. That's exactly yeah. it. By the end of this program, 52% of people could actually pay for most of their expenses with cash or cash equivalent. Okay. So they also found increases in, um, uh, they found increases in, in, um, people's incomes overall. Uh, so if people were necessarily underemployed, now they were finding more gainful employment mm -hmm. because they didn't have to worry about whether their income was going to be stable or not during that changeover. Yeah, they had That's a, a cushion. Of, they had a cushion. They had $500 coming in a month that said, go out and find a new job and make more money. Yeah, which is a so good that's what thing. they did. It is. It is a good thing. When you give people cushions or when you give them trade school or when you give them college, when you give people the mm -hmm. resources to elevate themselves without having to suffer horrible consequences, they typically do. Yeah. So, so what exactly is the metric here, so, right? Or, or the metrics? Uh, in February of 2019, 28% of the recipients had full-time employment. So only 28%. So the, the other uh, percentage um, either was unemployed, uh, unemployed completely, or were only part-time employed. Okay. Mm -hmm. One year later, 40% of the recipients were employed full-time. So people, instead of stopping working part-time, and just living off the $500, they're actually increasing their amount of employment to full-time jobs. So this goes back and we talk about what Matt was saying earlier and what Chris was saying earlier, that people don't stop working when they get this money. What they do is they actually work harder because the stability that it, it gives them allows them to go out and do things better for themselves. Okay. It, it is resounded over and over and over and all of the conclusions that they came to all continue to show the exact same thing that UBI doesn't necessarily have to be even all of your expenses, but just a part of your expenses. It doesn't have to be everybody gets $2,000 a month or 3000 or $4,000 a month. It doesn't have to be all of your income. All it needs to be is a portion of your income monthly to be able to, to grow and increase your own situation. Now, I, Do, I have a question about that. Sure. Because I think you make a good argument for what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. But again, back to what I was saying is earlier, is that feels like an argument from a static universe. Like we've already acknowledged that automation is only increasing. The number of jobs are never going to stop going down. I think you're misunderstanding what, what I'm saying when I say that, though. Okay. What I'm saying is, is that they show a small amount of money can have extremely positive impacts, right? And I'm not advocating for for us not moving to a a fully uh, expense-paid UBI, right? What I'm saying is, is that all of the evidence 
in this study refutes the idea that having a UBI doesn't have positive effect. It absolutely has a positive effect, and it can only be increased. Gotcha. The positive effect can only get better as more money is given to people. Okay. Yeah. As I, that I, UBI I, I is increased. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Then, yeah, I completely agree. And I think, uh, I think whereas, yeah, a small UBI is definitely a decent stopgap that eventually we need to assure, um, ensure that people can survive um, at a decent level even if they can't work because I'm sorry, the future I see is one where there's a lot more people than there are jobs. So when it comes to this topic, UBI, it's, I think the, the stats, the numbers, the reality, both politically and mathematically and economically all point to that. This is the solution. This is the future. If there is going to be a way for people in general to thrive, UBI is where we need to head. We already see that beginning in other first world nations i hate that term but it's the best one i can say or eurocentric maybe um we see them heading towards a far more heavily socialized economy and far more social safety nets you know because it's not just ubi we need healthcare. we need a guarantee of housing and we need a guarantee of income these are things that human beings need we need food water power shelter medicine and ubi would ensure that people can have these necessities um and I think there's no doubting it. And the only way you come across doubt is, again, it's another one of these zombie myths. It's another one of these mentalities that won't die, that is pervasive, and that it is here. And it's based on a line. It's based on capitalism. And it's based on greed. It is based on a, not even a folktale. It's, let's be fair. This is propaganda. We have been fed this starting from the British Empire and then moving into the American one, this idea that everyone must work, everyone must exist for the profit margin, work is life. And I mean, I'm sorry, like the words work will set you free have never been a good omen. And it doesn't sound good when they're written in German in a Polish camp. And it doesn't sound good when Biden says it on TV. At the end of the day, you are more and you are worth more than your surplus labor value. And that belongs to you. And we need to stop being told that if we don't sell every second of our lives to someone wealthier than ourselves, we don't deserve to live. It's a lie. It's unethical. It's wrong. And we need to move past it. And unfortunately, we're a long way off because that's not happening until we get rid of the capitalist system in general. And that's not happening tomorrow. It could, though. So grab a pitchfork and a torch and be ready just in case. <laughs> Speaking of pitchforks and torches... Anything uh, anything going on in the in the hate mail bag, Matt? You know, it's actually that was the most appropriate segue you could have possibly given me today. Oh, that's so not let, good. So, well, <laughs> it, it's not it's not as bad as, as all that. But let, but let's start with the good. Let's have our dessert first. Uh, new user gave us a review on um, on iTunes. Uh, e Jaeger, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing this right. Uh, says five stars. I thoroughly enjoyed their informed opinions and views. Adding these guys to my regular podcast rotation, super enjoyable. Well, thank you very much, Eager. We appreciate it. And to anybody else listening, because I know we're getting new listeners every single week. I watch the numbers carefully. Go on iTunes, shoot us a review. That's the best way that we can possibly um, see this uh, little community, little podcast of ours grow. Uh, 
we're absolutely going to stick to our guns here with this 50 uh, reviews and you users will get to pick our topic. So if we get to 50 on iTunes, you guys are picking our next topic. So please remember that and keep that up. Now to the part that's a little more in keeping with what Chris was uh, segueing me into here. Well, first of all, real quick, Jaeger, thank you. That is honestly just, I love hearing stuff like that. So thanks for listening, man. I'm glad we made it onto your regular list and uh, I appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, uh, I think I'm going to take this as a sign that our, our little, uh, our little experiment here is uh, successful. We have at least one person who does not like us. <laughs> <laughs> at but, least one it's about damn time yeah, yeah. however uh with typical people that don't like something they don't have the stones to comment but we have one one star review on um on uh, itunes now no let reviews me guess, let, me guess, let me guess a bunch of snowflakes in an echo chamber is that about right well, nope it's just all they did was oh. rate us a single star and no comments uh then I'm sorry, they get no credence. Well, but here's <laughs> the thing: on our YouTube channel, which which isn't b- by any means the bulk of where our listeners reside, None. we have at Not least even. one person. I, I'm guessing that it's one person who has gone in and disliked every single one of our previous videos. So snowflake, we're at we're now at like I think twenty. This will be our twenty sixth episode, right? Almost all of them have had one dislike on them. We've been, we've been doing this for six months now, guys. Yeah. So, but I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to take this as a sign that we're a success because the bigger something gets, the more successful it gets, the more people start to hate on it. So if we're starting to get official haters, I'll take it. I'm a little disappointed. We haven't had a right wing snowflake come after us yet. I, and, and you know, I thought that would be the bulk. I don't know if they just haven't heard us or they just don't have any interest, but who knows? I might have just stumbled across on YouTube. Who knows? Maybe someone's like, oh, I need to come after the alt left. Damn it. Oh, wait, there's a podcast called that. So, so far, it's just been dislikes, <laughs> but I figured it was worth mentioning because I think it means that we're doing something right, you know, uh, as a podcast, as uh, um, political commentators i think it's we're not doing our job effectively if we don't have at least some disagreement so to see somebody that did not like what we were saying enough to go in and actually dislike it because remember like you can scroll past and ignore it takes effort to go in and actually click the dislike button oh yeah it, not, it takes not, time yeah, yeah. to do a, this not a lot of effort like, so, somebody <laughs> disliked us enough that they wanted to spend the time that it takes to dislike all of our videos, all of our podcast episodes. Somebody took the time to click the review button on iTunes and click one star, regardless of that they didn't spend enough time to actually give us a review. And if they had UBI, they could spend more time doing that. Imagine, right? <laughs> just a little UBI. Living the fucking dreams. Dreams. Just, you know, just disliking everything that's about the left. Not even us, just every podcast that's that's left. You could just do that if you had UBI. Imagine. Yeah. Be great. So, um, but awesome. uh, you know what? I'm going to give that user a shout out. Whoever you may be. I don't know your name. I don't know what you think about us. Wait, the one star review on iTunes doesn't have a name? No, it, it's literally just so, like, I don't get to see who clicks the stars. I can only see the usernames of people that have commented. So, and the same is true with YouTube. And I think they do that on purpose to prevent like massive flame wars and you going back and doing like, you know, trolly internet shit to people that don't like you, which I'm fine with. I wouldn't do that anyway, but I get why they've got that system like that. So uh, I'm not going to hate it. But you know what? If you don't like us that much, 
give us a rebuttal. If you really think our ideas are so trash that you're going to take the time to dislike our stuff, why don't you tell us why? I, I'll hear you. I, I'm going to bet that we probably are not going to agree with your take, but I'll listen to it. I, To be honest, I'll bet that they don't even listen. They went, the alt-left, F those guys. No, they probably listened for 10 <laughs> seconds, and they went, well, oh, fuck these guys, and they went through our entire channel. Guaranteed. Yeah, but that's that's my Guaranteed. point, is is they didn't actually listen to us. Or they found, like, our policing episode. Yeah, <laughs> something like that, right? Because the Blue I'm Lives Matter crowd seeks, so, so am I. Um, a fucking A-cab all day. But I think the uh, the um, the Bagel Lives Matter people um, cruise through it and find stuff like that and then just go and down thumbs troll everything. Which, to be fair, I literally spent a week on Reddit conservatives just so i could go in there and downvote the shit out of all the racist stuff before it got too gross and i had to leave like it's fair it works both ways i've been that thumbs down troll before yeah yeah fair enough but anyway uh, i thought it was worth mentioning you know i think it, it it's a milestone good or bad we're hitting milestones in this podcast and as i've said many a time before we've gone so far and had more success than i ever thought we had and so I, I don't care if they like us or don't like us. If you're listening to us or engaging in any way, I'm going to give you a shout out. Again, I'm a little disappointed it's not more like the fact that we haven't been screamed and called cucks on Twitter. I'm surprised. Um, we have a couple of times. Here's the thing. On Twitter, because I blast Ted Cruz so much, oh, we yeah. get responses up the wazoo. They're just not all that insightful. And to be fair, most of my comments on Ted Cruz's uh, Twitter aren't exactly the most thought out and, uh, you know, intellectual comments. Ted Cruz is a piece of shit, and I don't think he's worth having an argument over. I just want to call him a bunch of names and tell him he's a piece of shit. Um, can, can, but are you loud enough that your voice can reach to Cancun? Uh, not yet, but I'm working on it. I think with practice, I can do it. Well, I think that is thank you all for being here with us and, and, and enjoying our first thumbs down together. Uh, I'm <laughs> glad our audience was here for us. It felt good to me. Uh, a good who doesn't like a good thumb from behind, right? <laughs> but uh, but in all seriousness, thanks for being here for I know this was another uh, another topic on economics, which isn't always the most exciting and thrilling. Um, I promise next week we're gonna be talking about titties and explosions. Um Ooh, we're going to do that episode? <laughs> not quite, but I'm going to tease something. I'm not going to say what we're doing, but I can guarantee if you guys liked uh, like what we're doing, if you're a fan of our content, especially if you were a fan of the policing episode, you are not going to want to miss next week. Up, next we week, do next have week a surprise. Episode. We're knocking on wood because it does depend on an outside source coming through. Uh, but yes, if if the stars align, we actually have a pretty cool segment lined up for next week. So I'm pumped for it. So stick around and come back here. We will always be here to serve you little saucy, crunchy nuggets of all left goodness. And thank you for giving us your ear holes in your time today. So we will see you next Monday. Please, until then, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. And remember, the revolution is you.